0: Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's Analysis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's been a few days. In fact, about a week now since we've done a daily update show on COVID-19 in India. Which we have been doing for the best part of the last two months on the In Focus podcast. The plan was to taper it down to at least one substantial weekly update. And also keep it open, of course, for days when there is a big news event to analyze. I'm joined today by the Hindus national editor, Suhasani Haider, and Deputy Science Editor Jacob Koshi for this weekly update, and we'll basically give you an overall view. So has details on travel of various kinds resuming as the lockdown is slowly lifted, regulations for domestic flights as well as continuing updates on flights bringing back Indians from abroad. Jacob will give you updates from the Health Ministry briefings. Interestingly, around the time we stopped doing daily updates, the Health Ministry also stopped press briefings for some time, and were doing only press releases. But they've resumed over the last couple of days and today, some today in particular, some interesting numbers were released. So, it gives us something to discuss. Here's Sohasini Haider first.
1: Good evening, gent, and thanks for having me back on. I know it's been a while um, and there's so much that has happened, but it's been on different fronts. So, the one side is the coronavirus pandemic and the numbers and the recoveries and all of that but of course it's also been the story of the lockdown and how the lockdown now is being gradually lifted uh, allowing of course lakhs of migrants that we've been watching on the streets going home uh and then um uh, and then the other uh, travel arrangements that are being made by the government the big news of course for next week will be that domestic air travel is being restarted as far as the trains go they are still being kept for the shramik sevas the special trains until the end of june but uh flights domestic flights are being opened across the country all the sectors uh and a and a whole series of uh, protocols health protocols uh masks um uh, whether you need to download the arogya setu app there's been some controversy about that as well but all of these protocols are being put into place to start the flights on monday the government has also put a cap and a uh what they call a base and a cap for Flight fares so that no airlines goes out of business, but there isn't undercutting either, and uh, the and the price fares really range from about two thousand to about eighteen, nineteen thousand, depending on the uh, distance that you are going to be traveling. But of course, uh, the focus has also been on Vande Bharat, which is the operation codenamed by the Ministry of External Affairs to bring back Indian citizens who were stranded abroad. Uh, because of the lockdown. Now that is into its second phase, its third week begins. uh, And what we understand is the big news is, of course, the Ministry of Home Affairs is now also allowing uh, overseas citizens of India, OCI holders, to return on some of these flights. Of course, uh, they would be OCIs uh, who need to come back for a specific reason, family over here, um, some kind of an emergency in the family, as well as health conditions. Uh, So in this second phase, which uh, they they count from 16th May to the 13th of June, um, they are expecting to send out about 47 uh, flights to about 47 countries and uh, number about 162 flights in all are expected to be going out in this phase. uh, They're adding new destinations like uh, Istanbul in Turkey, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, Lagos and more destinations in the US and in Europe. Uh, we understand that Air India, because it's having to um, fly so many different in so many different directions, is considering making Frankfurt a hub where uh, various flights will be able to bring Indians and OCIs from different places, and then Air India would be able to bring them back uh, from Frankfurt. They're also now beginning to use private airlines. We understand the first will be Indigo, which is. Uh, bringing uh, uh, going to uh, operate about 97 flights between the Middle East, between West Asia uh, and destinations like Muscat, Doha, Kuwait, uh, Dubai, Riyadh uh, to Kerala uh, primarily. Uh, we also have uh, seen um, a helping hand coming from other countries. So, for example, Tunisian airlines that were flying actually to Thailand to pick up Tunisian citizens made a stop in Delhi and dropped off 25 Indian engineers who were working in Tunisia and had been stranded for two uh, months and more. Um, Buenos Aires from Argentina, we've seen Indians being brought in. So uh, many more people are being brought into this effort. Now, in all, uh, the government says that uh, as of this week, which was which marked day 15 of, of this mission or operation, 259,000, 2.6 2. lakhs nearly, Uh, had registered to come back on one of these flights. Uh, So far, they've been able to bring back about 23,475 Indians, and these are primarily workers, students, and professionals, also people with medical emergencies, pregnant women, and all the rest. Uh, The government is certainly hoping that in the next phase, they will be able to perhaps uh, hand over a lot of these uh, operations to the private airlines as they go back and forth and uh, the lockdown lifts and other restrictions are taken off. But for the moment, uh, the big uh, the big uh, news in terms of this mission is uh, the fact that private airlines are now being enlisted and OCI members who have been asking for a while because many overseas citizens uh, of India had actually been living in India or have uh, spouses and family in India and had really been hoping to come back. Uh, and this will be a big breather for them. So
0: Jacob, we haven't actually uh, done a podcast for a few days now and also that coincided with uh, a period in which there were no daily press briefings from the Health Ministry. Yeah. Though there were a lot of daily press releases actually uh, touting touting the uh, recovery rate in India. So we'll get to the recovery rate uh, part uh, later but first up, there was there has been over the past couple of days some briefings and in particular today there was a the return of um, uh, Mr. V. K. Paul from the Niti Aayog who is part of one of the empowered committees That's and right. uh, so it was a slightly more substantial briefing where there was some there was some numbers some modeling again about uh, the lockdown and its effects so yeah. do you want to just take that from there
2: yeah so dr bk paul is the head of the covid medical emergency management committee it's a high powered committee uh, of the government to basically ma- uh, you know oversee uh, preparations and you know the steps that must be taken to contain the pandemic so uh, he's a paediatrician and he's also a member of the NITI Ayog. Now today he made this presentation uh, to argue why the, lock, the effect of the lockdown and they consulted about uh, three or four separate set of uh, statisticians from different agencies. Some of them are from the Boston Consulting Group, some of them were independent economists, some of, some of them were from uh, the Indian Statistical Institute. So, uh, Dr. Paul uh, basically showed how all of these independent uh, people had uh, evaluated the effect of the lockdown and what the lockdown really achieved. So the basic argument according to all of these models was that, uh, you know, the lockdown has, uh, especially the early lockdown was uh, helped uh, prevent nearly 1.4 to 2 0.9 million uh, extra COVID cases and averted nearly 40,000 to 80,000 deaths. And this was again uh, a cumulative estimate released by the Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementation. And a representative was also sitting alongside him. So that's a very wide range, 40,000 to 80,000 deaths and 1.4, 2.9 million. That's how most modeling estimates are. Now there were no details provided of how this model? What are the assumptions in each mod, in each of these models, and that is what really makes a model a model in terms of uh, uh, what are the assumptions that they make. But it was based the argument essentially has been, you know, the government's old uh, 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 thrust, which is to show that the lockdown really was uh, an effective uh, and the only method uh, available to cut down the number of cases. Now this we can never really verify this in terms of what would have happened you know if this wasn't there that is a hypothetical counterfactual but you know this is what we have right now but what was also interesting was Dr. V.K. Paul in on 25th April you know was again giving this media briefing and that time uh, again this was close this was after lockdown 1.0 was over and uh, you know this the second one had already begun And that time he was arguing why lockdown uh, 1.0's, you know, effect, uh, you know, what was the benefit of that. And that he famously had shown this uh, graph in which there was a particular trend line which showed that the number of active COVID cases would go down to zero by May 16. And this became a a, a kind of controversial graph because he he never really explained the basis for that uh, derivation. And uh, as we all know, that never really happened. That is, we now have, you know, uh, so many. I mean, we have one point, one lakh sixty thousand, one lakh six thousand odd. You know,
0: so uh, we did, we did discuss this. uh, I think once on the podcast. Yes, we did that time. So, but it was the first time he kind of
2: acknowledged that and said it was a misunderstanding, and that was just a trend line. uh, You know, anyway. But the point being that you know. That then too was a defense of lockdown. Here too was is continues to be a defense of lockdown per se, as if the lockdown per se was uh, you know was the was the end of the the, the end the ultimate end of this whole exercise uh, of uh, you know uh, dealing with the pandemic. So it's really unquestionable as to you know how how are these numbers being derived, etc. But uh, I think deeper questions continue to remain, as in, you know, because, I mean, what people really are interested is, for instance, you know, was such a hurried lockdown really required? I mean, if the number of cases were going to rise to 100,000 plus, I mean, would a week's delay have made a difference? Because the government's initial thrust always has been different. That is, you know, we were to stay locked in for 21 days. Everything was to shut down for 21 days. And then we would see the, the viruses community trans uh, the viruses transmission breaking down. That was the initial promise of it, but that never really happened. Dr. Paul also argued today that you know the the lockdown's purpose also was to prepare our uh, you know our medical facilities, prepare our hospitals, prepare our resource infrastructure for heightened testing. You know, get uh, experts and a system in place. While all that definitely has happened, the number, amount of Uh, data available in terms of the disaggregation of the data that we have is certainly you know miles ahead of uh, what we had in the previous days our testing is now consistently over 100,000 tests a day we have a variety of labs all that is beyond dispute but none of this really explains what was the government thinking regarding imposing the lockdown that time because preparedness was just a secondary aspect of Uh, you know, what the political leadership was pressing on. But now the narrative has completely changed. It is about, uh, you know, the success of the lockdown vis-a-vis what have we achieved in terms of preparation. So, again, a lot of water has flowed under these bridges and uh, it's only after we see some definite plateauing or decline in, you know, the overall cases, especially in certain states and districts that we can really now start thinking of the success or relative success of the government's uh, implementation strategy
0: would now be put to rest. Okay. Jacob, I'm just going to take a quick detour and just because I was just reminded of a story that you'd done earlier in the week Mm -hmm. and it's about the, uh, the, it's about, it's about the Oxford, the vaccine candidate that's being developed in Oxford at the Jenner Institute. So, um, I saw, this, I saw this interview um, yesterday with Adar Punavala from the uh, Serum Institute in Pune, mm-hmm. who had actually partnered with the General Institute. And yeah. one of the things that he did mention was that they had initially planned sort of hundreds of millions of doses, but now they're kind of toning that down to say, okay, maybe we'll try it out with 2 million doses. Yeah. So I think that's, so this is one of the vaccine candidates that I think I mean the, the the enthusiasm around it has been tempered somewhat and now there's also the message about vaccines in general that look we need to wait for some more time to see true which are the ones that are really working so but just i just want to go back and revisit that what what exactly was the uh the setback in the oxford vaccine candidate
2: well it's not really a setback in the sense that see i mean given i mean even a month ago and the, i mean and actually even now the world is still very paranoid because the cases are increasing and we all know that, uh, at least the narrative has been that, you know, unless and until a vaccine really comes, I mean, we really do not have any respite from, uh, from, from the coronavirus. Uh, so there were a lot of candidates being tested and this particular vaccine and, uh, being developed by the General Institute and being tested also at the uh, you know, in the United States as well as uh, at other locations, held a lot of promise, Uh, you know, it was uh, um, based on adenovirus, which is a related uh, virus to the coronavirus family and it is safer. And uh, in the sense, it was made to uh, be in such a way that it would would not really uh, cause infection, but would generate a good antibody response. Now, the thing is the antibody response, etc. has been generated, but the virus continues to be, uh, when it was tested in monkeys, the virus continued to be detected in fairly significant levels in the upper respiratory tract, tract but you know in the nose etc but there was the scientists claim there was no virus in the lower respiratory tract now that, that is good because it means that you know there is no uh, i mean it protected the, the vaccine protected the animals from pneumonia but uh, which is the worst aspect of coronavirus but the point is you i mean it is not really stopping the spread of of the virus itself it also means that you know in spite of having the vaccine the you know the virus continued to be uh, detected in the monkeys and technically those monkeys could spread spread to others uh, to you know uh, to other uh, simians so to say so now this is again in a highly controlled laboratory la- conditions in among monkeys and Translating that into humans, already the 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 vaccine the this Oxford vaccine really generated a lot of interest because it had already gone to uh, early human trials and human trials also showed that it was safe that it was, it was not causing any damage uh, or it was not affecting uh, people. Uh, so there was a lot of expectation, but you never. The, the general trajectory always has been that you know uh, something has to show excellent results in, uh, in 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 animal models, and then it may show uh, fantastic good results in, uh, in in human models. In this case, the the monkey results weren't fantastic. They're okay. They're good. And in fact, I was told by an expert who I uh, interviewed for that story was that in an ideal world, in an ideal vaccine development situation. If uh, you know a company were to see data like this, they really would not invest in going ahead with human trials. So, okay. but, but again, coronavirus has changed the dynamic of what, of what is a possible sort of vaccine, so to say. Uh, so maybe that is one reason, because we have no better options and governments everywhere are desperate for even the slightest form of vaccination, this might get through. It could even it could well be that you know probably a uh, an increase those might be uh, you know more useful for human beings we don't know but the point is this is also being tested in unusual circumstances in the sense that the humans in oxford uh, you know in in the UK who are being part of the trial they are in a they are what is called being challenged with the virus that is they are actively being infected with the you know with the with the coronavirus after being vaccinated. Normally, you would never ever do that. I mean, you would never actually infect a guy, a person with, uh, you know, the, the, the virus particle. But in this case, we are doing this because these are these are what, is, what are called challenge trials. And they kind of speed up the vaccine discovery and development process. Again, very unusual, but it is because of the, you know, the lack of a better option that, you know, such kind of trials are being tried out. So these less than fantastic results in monkeys, are you know what are the odds that it would actually then show brilliant results in humans? That's 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 quite um, unusual, and it would be we'd, be we'd be waiting to see for results in that sense.
0: Yeah, I mean the one notable thing about the interview is um, you know Mr. Mr. Punavala, despite you know being um, the head of this company that's the largest vaccine manufacturer, uh, refused to be drawn out actually on this question of is there a you know international front runner for a vaccine? I mean he did. He was quite happy saying that that, it's too early to say, etc. Right. So, Jacob, I I thought we would also discuss recovery rates, but I think we'll leave that for next week because, you know, this seems to be an upward trend. Um, The figures that are being released, as I mentioned earlier by the health ministry, are that recovery rates have gone up. I think they've, over the course of two weeks, they've gone from saying it's 29% to now it's about 40%. I think by next week, if we, if we get to something like fifty percent, then that's a that's a significant number to discuss because that does mean we're sort of on yeah. on balance winning the battle against uh, the disease. Yeah. So um, we leave it there for now, Jacob. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, we'll catch up soon. Bye, James. See you.